It's going to be just a small group of us today. It's a holiday weekend, but guess what? You're here. Actually, I was thinking of this line during worship. Sometimes it's just flesh. Sometimes it's just us. But I think it was the Spirit of God. I want you to say this out loud. Ready? Do I deserve any less today? No. It might be a small crowd, but God, it's about one. You know that? Jesus was about the one. He said, I'll leave the 99 and go find the one. We're here, right? That means God's here. Let's just pray. You stay right where you are. Lord, we thank you that you preserved your word. You have preserved it for all of these years for us today to read it. Lord, and, and, and be more than just reading in the natural, more than the intellect, but Lord, that we read the words you spoke and they change us in a supernatural way, in a way that comprehension can't, but something supernatural happens inside of us. Lord, I pray that your word today as you speak through me, Lord, I pray that you'd bypass me, bypass my personality and my words and cut to our hearts. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Lord's uh, led me this month. He led me to the book of Exodus. And um, God has been, I didn't even know what it was going to become at first. I just felt led to it. Who likes being led by the Holy Spirit? Who needs to be led? Who doesn't want to be led by themselves? Who has led themselves far enough? <laughs> you know that Jesus loves you so much. He loves you so much. It's like that song we sang at Sunday school. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You know, it's as simple as that. It's as sweet as that. That's the gospel. Jesus said, you got to come to me like a child. We try to get all intellectual. Listen, I love the word. I love digging deep. The more you dig, you're never going to find the bottom of God. You're never going to find the bottom of the depth of his wisdom. And there's unlimited life in God for you today. But do you know at the heart, all of all of that is just a child sitting on the lap of God. I've said it before. A child doesn't come in like our children don't come in and say, I wonder if they're going to feed us today. They just expect it. And they're not greedy. They don't. I mean, every kid's going to say, I don't like this, but it's not like that. They're not saying, oh, you know, why didn't you make me this? Why didn't you make me that? They're just simple. I either don't like it or I don't. I'm going to eat if I need to eat. It's very simple. Very, very simple. That's what it's like with us and God. At the heart of this book. <laughs> it's not just a book, is it? Come on, everybody, say, it's not just a book. It's not a paperweight. 
at the heart of that entire thing is a very simple gospel. Here's God and here's you. I love you. Won't you trust me? That's it. Okay, you're dismissed. That's, that's it. I love you. Won't you trust me? Because if you do, and it's very simple, you don't even have to ask. I'm going to just provide for you. The Bible says Jesus loves us so much that he laid down his life for us, right? And it tells us that if God loves us, he said to compare it, when you look out and you see the birds and you see the flowers, things that we don't think much of, right? We just, especially in today's world, we don't look at nature very much, do we? But do you know that God says that he sees everyone, every single one of his creatures, everything that he's created, he sees those things and cares about them and has made them beautiful on purpose. He had a purpose in every single creature and every single thing he made, God thought about it and there was purpose in it and beauty in it. And he said, if I love, if my eye can see the sparrow and if my, my uh, beauty has clothed the flowers, how much more do you think I love you and how much more precious are you to me? How much more will I clothe you and take care of you and be there for you and so on? That's the heart of his message. And it's kind of what I want to talk about today. Like I said, I didn't know where the Lord was going. I just started being faithful. Yes, Lord, we need to go to Exodus because it's time for us to get out of the world. That's what the story of Exodus is, but it doesn't end there, does it? See, so much of the gospel, so much of Christianity is just about getting saved. I got saved. We don't even fully understand what that means today as this church. That was an amazing day. Who can testify the day that Jesus saved you was an amazing day? One you'll keep testifying about. But he saved you for a purpose. He saved you for a reason. Yes, at the simplicity of it is just to love you and just to know you. But then just like a child, what do we do? We love those children, we care for them, we nurture them, and then we raise them so that they will be men and women one day. And that's what God does with us. At the heart of his message, you're just a child on his lap, but he is also trying to show you his love. He instills in you something. He grows you. He teaches you. He shapes you. And then you stand as a man or woman of God one day. We need to come out of the world. We need to get the world out of us. But then he brings us. He's trying to bring us. The story of Exodus was because he was trying to bring them into his presence. He had to get them out of the world. Remember, we talked about this. If you don't leave, they left by choice. One day God said, it's time to go. And they had their staff in their hand. They had everything ready. It was time to go and go. It's time to get out of the world. And when he says it, it's still your choice. You have a choice, but they got up and they left and they followed God. And then they came. The Bible says that God led them. 
He led them down into the down to the Red Sea, and the the uh, army of Pharaoh pursued them. The elite pursued them. The enemy was at their back. And there was an impossible situation in front of them at the Red Sea. And the Bible says that God spoke to Moses. He said, raise your hand, raise the staff I put in your hand. And that water split apart and they walked through. You have been delivered. Jesus split apart the impossible situations in front of you. He took sin and he crushed it. He took the enemy's power and he drowned it in the water behind you. That was really a, a, a pre-picture of baptism. The flesh, the sin, the enemy that's trying to attach itself to you, to attack you, God killed it and he set you on the other side. Who can testify that they are thankful that the Lord has done that in their life? And then we come to the other side. And this is the part about our faith that's the most confusing. <laughs> I'm going to start talking about these next weeks, the best part of our faith. Let me make a statement, and I'm going to lead up to this in these next weeks. To get to the glory of God, you have to go through the wilderness. Let's say that out loud. To get to the glory of God... You have to go through the wilderness. That's not Old Testament. You go on all preacher, that's Old Testament. Nope, it's not. Matthew 4. It says that the Spirit of God, and we're going to get into that in these weeks, led Jesus, New Testament, into the wilderness to be tested, to be tempted by the devil. Paul, when he was converted... He has this conversion experience. He's Saul, and then bam, God has a moment with him. His eyes are open. He, the Lord reveals himself to him, and it says that he went into the desert, went into the wilderness. That's New Testament. God wants his glory to shine in you and through you. All right, I'm, I'm got to, to just raise your hand if I'm doing too much participation. But you know what? We're just a small group. But say, God wants his glory in me and coming out of me. But in order for God's glory, do you realize the, how amazing his glory is? We're going to talk about it in some weeks ahead, but you guys know the story. It was so magnificent when Moses looked upon God's glory that his face literally shone outside, physical, not spiritual, with the glory of God on his face. Who has had in your conversion experience someone come up to you at some point, whether it's friend or family or a stranger, and say to you, what is it about you? At some point, right? It's because the glory of God is starting. He's given you a taste. A taste of it is already in there. The spark is in there because the Bible says that when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit came in you. But he wants you to be glowing. It's already there. But God wants to glow out of you. He just wants you to shine. Remember, I've been mentioning this. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. But then as he transitioned from this earth 
to seated, remember Jesus is not on the earth, you are on the earth. He sat down on the throne next to the Father. That's the Bible. But you are here, and he said, now you are the light of the world. In other words, I'm not really leaving. I'm just leaving in bodily form, but in spirit form, I'm going to stay on the earth through you. That's how God does it. Why God, I've said this before, why he works through us, I don't know. I'm glad he does, but I don't know why he works through humanity. But 99.9% of all the miracles, all the things that God does, he does through people. God can, God's God. If he wants to, bam, he can just snap you out of the thing you're in and put you somewhere and he can do whatever he wants. He's God. I'm not limiting him. He's still the same God he's always been. But 99% of the time, why he does it, he has another believer lay their hands on you. Or you don't even know it and someone was fasting and praying for you. A grandmother, writes the classic story, was praying for that grandchild for years and years and years and years. And maybe that grandchild never even knows, but you know, it ends up in the book that that grandmother was praying goes on to be a preacher or something. We have so much of those stories. That's because God works through us. That's the way he designed it. And we just need to get with his program. He wants his glory in us for us. Remember, don't ever lose the simplicity. If you're trying to shine, but you forgot that he wants to be, his glory to be in you first, then you got the formula wrong. And that's the whole point of the wilderness. In order for you to be able to bear, in order for you to truly carry his glory, you cannot be you anymore. You get his glory in the old you, you're going to die. That's what the Bible says. He said, you can't even, technically, Moses, I mean, he was only able to look at the, the corner of his garment. Because he said, if anyone, if flesh sees me, you're going to die. Your flesh cannot take, it cannot carry God's glory. Your humanity, your old ways. And we all have old ways. Do I need to preach that or do we know that? (laughs) God's working those things out of us, isn't he? Who can say amen to that? I'm happy about that. Now, I had like so much. I just want to bring it in the right way. I want you to start by, I just want to review. I want you to look quickly at the book of Exodus chapter 14. That was not an intro. That's part of the sermon. That's the sermon right there. But it says in in Exodus, actually chapter 13, verse 21, it says, and I want us to read this out loud if we can. Exodus 13, verse 21. What's those first words there? The Lord went ahead of them. Who went ahead of them? So who's leading? Who's leading you? So no matter where you are, remember, they were in Egypt. We, we try to judge our situation. We try to ju- judge our surroundings, and we go, well, the Lord was with me then, you know, and he's not with me now. He can't be with me here. You know, I went up to uh, Great Escape uh, in Lake George 
the last couple of days, my family. And I was actually in this total like, you know, you just forget. I had this whole reminiscent moment. When I was like five years old, you ever been to, has anybody ever been to Great Escape? Who has been here? Yeah. So if you haven't been there, they have these, all, these little houses you can go in. You got to be 54 inches or shorter or be accompanied by one. So I was able to go in because I got kids still. <laughs> I went in. But when I was like five, I'll never forget, but I had forgotten for a while. But it's just one of those things that all of a sudden came back to me. I stood in the pulpit of the church, the chapel on those little houses. And my mom either took a video <laughs> or a picture, I don't remember, of me preaching from that pulpit. You know, I was like, wow, God. Wow. Ironically, my favorite ride in the whole place was driving these trucks. And I thought, man, because not that I love being a gutter guy driving a truck, but it's what I do and I'm happy. But I thought, it's like God knows who you are. He's not surprised by your life. He's not surprised by your wrong turns and your right turns in your mind or how other people judge you. God has a plan and a purpose. Come on, you need to say that out loud today. God has a plan and a purpose for my life. That's an individual thing. He's doing something in the earth, but he cares about you individually, your life, and even your wrong turns. Things that you thought, well, I should have done things a little bit differently. Maybe I should have gone to college, Lord. Maybe I should have, you know, be working this and working that. And I'm exactly where he always knew I would be. In a pulpit and driving a truck during the week. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was, like, I was like, wow, Lord. Wow. He guided them. Come on. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud and he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. No matter where you are, no matter what season it in, whether it's light or dark in your life, God is with you. I just want you to know that if anything today, if you remember anything, the Lord is with you. He's got a plan and a purpose. He knows what he's doing. And let's bring you a chapter ahead to Exodus chapter 14, verse 29. Just quickly, the people of Israel had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground as the water stood up like a wall on both sides. And that's how the Lord rescued Israel. Who did it? The Lord did it. The Lord rescued Israel from the hand of the Egyptians that day, and the Israelites saw the bodies of the Egyptians washed up on the seashore. There's a lot of shh in there. And when the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. I want you to note this because this is important, what I'm going to talk about in the next minutes. They were filled with awe before who? Who's him? 
The Lord. Because why? Because the Lord had done something amazing in their life. Has the Lord done something amazing in your life? Let me ask a better question. Has he done many amazing things in your life? Am I the only one that can testify that he's done so many things? I forget. I have to be reminded of that the fact that you know who I am and you knew who I was when you were forming me in my mother's womb. That's what your word says. Before I ever made a decision, thinking I'm making a decision, we're like those these modern pilots, you know, who get paid 200 grand to just sit there like this. Can you pass me a coffee, please? <laughs> Sorry, I, don't, I mean, maybe their job is intense. But I just feel like the computer's flying them for, to, you know, except for the guy who landed in the Hudson. What's his name? Sully, right. I mean, that's pretty amazing. You're like, well, you just can't do that anymore. Why? Why was it so amazing? Because the computer does everything anymore. And this guy's, that's what I feel like with God. God's got this, he's like flying us. We take off, but we got our hands on the wheel. We, we feel like we're looking at the window, like we're flying this thing, but he's in control. The destination's already done. You look, they look at the screen. They're not deciding, I'm going to fly to Australia today. The destination's already been decided. The computer technically is already doing it. They're going to grab the wheel at times, maybe some turbulence or things like that. I don't know. But for the most part, their hands are just sitting there, right? And that's like God, our lives. We, he, he lets us hold on to this life, but really, he's flying the plane, is he not? So they were filled with awe. So I want you now, I want you to remember this, that they are fully aware. They put their faith in the Lord and his servant Moses. It says, though, says something really interesting. Let's move on to chapter 15. And it says, verse 22, trying to find it here as well. It's here somewhere. It says, then Moses led, who's leading Moses? The Lord. So who's, who led the people of Israel away? Who led Moses? So the Lord led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea, and they moved out into the desert of Shur. They were traveling in this desert for three days without finding any water. What did the Lord just do for them? He just split the Red Sea open drowned their enemies behind them. He actually, we didn't even talk about it because I'm going to get into it the next weeks, but the Egyptians were throwing stuff at them. Their gold, their silver, clothes, shoes, whatever they would need for this journey God's about to take them on, just blessing them out on their way out. And they are completely free. They got to see God touch the world of their day touch Egypt with his mighty hand and saw his sovereign power bypassing the powers that be, bypassing the enemy, bypassing the devils they were serving in that land. They got to watch God be God. It says, three days. Come on, are we all just like the rest of us? <laughs> Who has been to church on a Sunday and by Wednesday you're questioning God again. We're not the only ones. 
It says, they went three days without finding water. Verse 23. When they came to the oasis of Mara, the water was too bitter to drink. So they called the place Mara, which means bitter. Verse 24. Then the people complained and turned against Moses. Really? Who's leading Moses? Had the Lord shown that to them? Did the Lord show that he was really leading Moses, that it wasn't really Moses? Anybody here have the power to split the Red Sea open? <laughs> so who split the Red Sea through that staff that Moses held up? So when they complained against Moses, who were they complaining against? And he said, what are we going to drink? They demanded. Who's demanded before the Lord? Then you feel real stupid after. When you realize that God's still God. But we've all done it. Verse 25. Moses cried out to the Lord for help, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood, and Moses threw it into the water, and this made the water good to drink. It was there at Marah that the Lord set before them the following decree as a standard to test their faithfulness to him. And that's what these next weeks are going to be about, the Lord testing our faithfulness. See, the Lord saves you. He frees you. And we're going to look into it. It's for your own good that he tests you. It's for your own good. Because his glory is trying to get into you. And he wants to shine out of you. But if who has seen a mixed preacher, unfortunately, who has been hurt and even pushed out of the church and out of Christianity by somebody who had the mixture of world and Christ, the glory of God that was mixed up with their own flesh, right? It's hurt. Probably most of us can say at some point or another, we've been hurt by that. And that's why it's for our own good for the Lord to test us, test our faithfulness. The Lord's not testing them because he's sadistic. You hear me say that a lot because it's the truth. He's not. The Lord does not get pleasure out of this. He's a good father. He's a good, good father, right? That's our song. It's who you are, Lord. It says in chapter 16, verse 1, the whole community of Israel set out for Elam and journeyed into the wilderness of sin. You know, that's a complete coincidence that it's translated like that. It doesn't mean anything. It means thorn, which is another interesting coincidence, a thorn in your side. The sin is constantly at your side, but it, it's an Egyptian word. But I think that that's cool. God knows what he's doing. I mean, the American language is one of like 200 some thousand, or 200 some language, sorry. 200,000 languages would be a lot. But God knows what he's doing to get the word in there for us to hear today. They went into the wilderness of sin between Elim and Mount Sinai. And they arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. I just want to speed through here. Verse 2. There too. What's it say? There too. Everybody say two. The whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. They said, if only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt. Wow, that's pretty extreme. They moaned. There we sat around pots 
filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Is that what God did? Did he bring you into your wilderness to starve you to death? Who has that child? Sorry, let me rephrase that. You're right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, that's me dialing back. Who has seen the child in some other family in a distant world far, far away? That you give them this and you give them that and you give them this and you give them that. And then at the very end of the day, amusement park, ice cream, your money is going. You know, not for you. I mean, you're enjoying it, watching them, and you're having some fun, but you could spend your money other places. And then you say, you can't play with my phone. <laughs> and they pout. <laughs> well, that's what it looks like in this story, doesn't it? I said to you last week, I titled it, don't look back now. When the Lord frees you and rescues you, the enemy is going to try on your way out of the world. He's going to try to burden you that the devil's going to get you, and he's not, is he? The Lord's got that covered, and he frees you. But as soon as you get out of the grip of the enemy, the enemy has one purpose. Do you know what that is? To try to get you to turn back. I'm going to say a pretty strong statement. The internet's going to have it for life. There are some Christians that believe that once you get saved, you can't become unsaved. I'm going to say a statement, and this might divide us here. I don't think so. I don't think for this group. I don't believe that. I believe at any point you have the choice to turn back. That's what I see in the Word. It seems like that to me pretty clearly. If we have opposition on that, whether it's you or me with the internet, so be it. We still are serving Christ. He's still the center. That's our common denominator. But I believe the word's pretty clear that you have the choice, just as you chose him to begin with, you have the choice to turn back at any time. Now, let me make another very, very strong statement with that. God will do everything in his power and his power's big to keep you from going back. Come on, can we testify? There's many times that you have tried to go back when you shouldn't have. And the Lord was gracious and merciful and found you on that road just before the enemy was about to get you again. Or maybe the enemy got part of your life. You gave in to him for a season, but the Lord caught him in the snare and actually built a testimony from that situation and brought you back, didn't he? And who knows, you ready? Here's another statement. That just because you turn to the devil a hundred times, a thousand times, a million times again, hurting God. Just because you have hurt God and turned back, you can turn one million and one times back to him and get on your way again. I believe that that's the, the true gospel. Jesus' love never, ever fails. That's constant. That's done. What Jesus did is done. He doesn't have to do anything for you. 
That's a weird concept for our mind. But his love is finished. He loves you the same whether you love him or whether you don't. He loves you the same whether you choose to follow him or you don't. And his power to get you all the way to the finish line, all the way to the promised land, all the way to the mountain of the glory of God is just as much available today as it was the day that he said it is finished on the cross. It's done. It's finished. It is completely and totally our choice. And when we say yes, we are giving the power over to God. That means that it's not your power to overcome your sin. If you tell God you're in control, then it's not you who are trying to control you. I believe that when we turn back, when we've made the mistake of turning back, when we, these are the words that start to come out of our mouth. We start to crave the things of the old life, the old me. Who has craved the old you because it was fun? There were things that were fun. They're not really fun. They just, they're fun in our minds. When we actually look from, you get far enough away. Who's gotten far enough away? And you look and say, it's not that fun. But in our flesh, in your humanity, you start to say things. You start to crave who you were and what you did and all those things. And we've all done that. It's a heart thing. You don't actually even turn back yet. You just, you start to get your heart on these things. But we need to know that the Lord rescued you. The Lord brought you out. The Lord freed you. The Lord paid a big price for you. The Lord paid with his very blood. You know, the Red Sea, it's no coincidence that it's the Red Sea. It's a symbol of two things. It was his blood and his baptism. And he brought you through. He freed you. He rescued you. And the worst thing for us to do is to start longing and talking about the very thing he just rescued us from. Can we say something together? You don't have to say it out loud. You know what? You've been participating enough. I'm going to say it. It's in your hearts. The Lord has rescued us and there is nothing in this world for me. There's no meat. (laughs) There's no gain. Because what they're forgetting here is that that meat and that bread came with being a slave. I don't see them saying, man, oh, TJ, remember when they used to beat my back with a whip because I didn't make enough bricks in the day? Man, oh, remember how they took your child and they just slit its throat because, you know, they said no more sons? Let's be real. We don't remember the harsh things of the world. We remember what, we, what the devil lies to us about is fun and is pleasing and pleasure. These are all, this is a facade. It's not real. This world is temporary. This is fake. It's a test for a very short amount of time in the scheme of eternity. And when you submit... Even though it's a test, when you submit to the Lord, you can live even in the test, believe it or not. Because Paul tells us, enjoy. You can have a family and you can have a life even in a time of temporary with eternity in you and coming out through you. 
but you have to stay close to him. You got to stay on this side. You've crossed over. Don't go back now. The enemy will try to tempt you your entire walk. And we'll look into Jesus as well. Jesus crossed over. He came through. Even Jesus was baptized. And immediately after coming through the Jordan, remember, just like the Red Sea, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And this is, again, like I said, this is the part about Christianity that's the most confusing. It's the worst part about Christianity in our flesh, but it's really the best part. You end up loving God testing you because what it's doing is when you start to see its gain, who has been through something with the Lord and come out on the other side and said, I wouldn't change a thing. Am I the only one who said I would not change a thing because I am who I am today because of that time? Did I like that time? No. Did I like how I felt during that time? No, no, no. (laughs) Do I like some of the repercussions that follow me on this earth, only on this earth? They're not going to follow you into eternity. They follow us on this earth. I don't like those things, but I'll tell you what, I'll take those things, the little bit of residual that has to, things that, you know, people say and they know and who you were and all those things. I'll take a little bit of that because I'm so thankful for what he's done in my life. It says in Exodus 17, they did the same thing to the Lord. They said, Give us water to drink. Moses said in Exodus 17, verse 2, Why are you complaining against me? Or, and why are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, verse 3, chapter 17, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us? our children, our livestock with thirst. In 17, verse 7, Moses named the place Massa, which means test, and Meribah, which means arguing, because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord here with us or not? That's some harsh words. What I need for us to do What you need to do, this is an individual thing. Let me phrase that. What you need to do, when you don't understand, when you are thirsty, when you are hungry, when it doesn't make sense, you need to tell yourself, God is still leading me today. You need to remember the things that he did. You need to go back to great escape and say, he put me in that pulpit and I didn't even know what that meant, but God had a plan and it took quite a journey to get to this one. But that God, you're in control. You're leading. You're leading me. You're leading me. You're leading me. Can I tell you something as a promise? You will get thirsty again. You will get hungry again. The devil works with your natural flesh, 
your natural desires, whether it's your eyes, your ears, your body, your tiredness, etc., etc. You can use your imagination or your experience. You know that he works with your flesh, and at that very moment, you need to know that God is still leading you today. He did not. God did not free you to trap you. He did not free you to kill you. He did not free you. Come on, we just need to tell. Don't be afraid. You don't need to talk to the devil in a way that you're telling the devil who's boss. But don't be afraid just to say some things out there. Who cares if the devil cares what you're saying? But sometimes you just need to say to the devil, my God's still my God today. Come on, let's stand. Let's stand. My God is still my God today. My God freed me. Uh, devil, you're not going to tempt me with my flesh because in case you don't remember, I do that he split the Red Sea open in my life. In case you don't remember mind. Come on, you got to tell your, your spirit man's going to start talking your mind. You talk to your, your weak flesh. In case you don't remember me, sometimes there's a devil in us. Ooh, that's, that's not a, we don't talk about that in Christianity. Times you got a devil you got to get rid of that's trying to try to come with you crossing over. You got to tell that devil, I remember what God did for me and he didn't do all that. I doubt that he did all that to abandon me now. God has not led me this far to all of a sudden leave me and abandon me today. Why would he do that? And yet we come to God a thousand a million times in our life, I wonder, I want to, Lord, I want to see it one day, just for fun. Don't judge me by it, but show me how many times I question you. And that he still loves you. Every single, you know, he, the Holy Spirit is never, it says that the Lord led them. The Spirit led Jesus, which means the Holy Spirit is speaking. Stay standing. Stay standing. I'm going to read this and we're going to pray. It says... In 1 Corinthians, if I can find it here, but it's in chapter 10. You know it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. I can't find it there. We'll find it here. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is, come on, say that, God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. That means that if the temptation is pushing you and facing you, you need to say, I certainly feel like giving into this temptation. I don't feel like I have the strength, but I don't go by my feelings and by my flesh. That part of me was left drowned in the Red Sea, and I'm free. I'm his. I'm yours, Lord. And he said he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, listen what it says. He will show you a way out so you can endure. There is always at that moment when you are weak and you are tired and you're just irritable and you're questioning. It's one thing to question. It's another thing to let that thing enter your heart. You need to sever that thing right then and there. You tell your mind to shut up. And it can keep telling you, your mind can keep telling you, I'm tired, I'm hungry. Your mind doesn't stop. Your stomach doesn't stop when it's hungry until you feed it. You just need to tell that thing if you got to keep telling it and keep telling it and keep telling it. Tell your body, 
Tell your mind, tell the, from the Spirit of God within you that God is leading me and He's got a way for me. Lord, we thank you that you have led us this far. I thank you, Lord, that you have freed us. We can all testify, you have freed us from the world. It was your plan before time began to crush Satan and drown his power behind us. He is below us, beneath us, and the water, the blood of Christ, the baptism left his power there in the grave, and you set us on a journey to get to the glory of God, to know you, to walk with you, and for you to be with us, and finally, Lord, to enter the promise for all eternity. We thank you, Lord, that you're leading us. We're going to keep our eyes on you because you're looking. Are you going to be faithful? Are you going to keep trusting me? Are you going to see I've shown enough in your life so far, and I'll do more, but will you trust what I've done so far in you to keep going? Will you look at all the things I've done in your life? Will you look at all the times that I've never failed you. And I, in fact, I gave you more than you deserved. Will you look at those times and keep trusting that I have a plan and a purpose for you? We thank you, Lord. Give you praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.